IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin, Season 2. Kirby, how are you? Doing fine, Justin. How about yourself? Well, I, I don't feel like you appreciate uh, a lot of times when I add, you know, little things like Santa ho-hoing and fire. I would put fireworks in here at this stage, you know, after the Season 2 announcement, but I don't feel like I get any love from you uh, when I do things like that and take the time to do things like that. I'll just go with the same old, same old uh, opening, but uh, I can try again if you want to. If you want to no. edit it out later, I think it's time to move on. Um, Excited that we've uh, survived to season two and ready to get going uh, again. Yeah, you know, we got a couple of nice things to talk about uh, before things kind of get started in earnest uh, in the seasons upcoming. Although reading today that uh, the the season opener for Formula One and Australia is now in doubt. Curb, I'm going to start off with John Paul Jr. And the uh, recently uh, uh, succumbed to Huntington's disease. Um, and I was going to kind of just talk a little bit about his life uh, because probably a lot of people don't know who John Paul Jr. was. I'm sure you and I remember it from – uh, our late youth, I guess is the way I'd put it. Right. Right. Um, right. Yep. Um, said to you uh, this morning that this should be a topic of ours. And then uh, lo and behold, uh, Robin Miller goes and writes a whole article on it today and publishes it. Uh, George Phillips on his oil pressure blog spent a long time writing about John Paul Jr. as well. And um, so I think people of a certain vintage uh, remember John Paul Jr. And, and it's a real shame when you, read his life story or get reminded of his life story. Um, what could have been. And, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'd pivot off of that a little bit, um, in the sense that the story has now been written literally on John Paul Jr. And, and I think more, it's more interesting maybe to just discuss the fact that racing seems at, at a high level seems to attract some rather colorful people and sometimes colorful people of dubious backgrounds. Sure. We can talk about the Whittington brothers, for example. Well, a whole string of, uh, what, uh, 80s uh, racers that were uh, pot smuggling, basically. Right. Um, and, you know, finance their ride. I mean, who can forget the three Whittington brothers in plain yellow tubs participating in the 500 <laughs> fully funded by themselves. But to their credit, they acquitted themselves pretty well on the track. They did. I mean, I'm not saying, and, and then, you know, look in the case of um, John Paul Jr. I, you know, not to rehash the story as it's, you know, as it's been written now, as we've pointed out, but I mean, he was really, he went to the slammer, because he loaded dope for his uh, dad when he was 15 and onto trucks or something like that. But the real reason he went to the slammer is because he wouldn't um, rat out his dad. You know, his dad had shot the uh, the person that was going to testify against him. And so I think they had to turn to somebody else for testimony. And so they turned to John Paul Jr., who, of course, refused to cooperate and went to jail himself then for Three years, I think. Three years. It was a six-year sentence, but I think he served three years. And, of course, you know, in a... We could only ask so much from our kids to be so loyal, Curb. <laughs> kidding. No kidding. Um, I mean, I, you see it right now in Kerma, uh, current Formula One, right? You see 
this maze pin guy, right? These some of these Russian oligarchs coming in with big money and uh, of questionable, dubious backgrounds, right? And it's yeah. just it seems like this racing just attracts a certain element of that, and we'll probably never get away from it because let's face it, the money involved is so huge. Um, but if you've got enough of it, you can still kind of buy your way in, even to Formula One. Really? Maze, and I, I might be pulling a curb here, and I might be totally mispronouncing his name, Mazepin. <laughs> Mazepin, Mazepin. Um, yeah, I'm. In fact, I'm yeah, yeah. It, it may be, it may be even more so in Formula One because so much money is required. Um, and yeah, you know, I want to go back and be fair to John Paul Jr. His rides were not funded, uh, to my knowledge, from from his dad's uh, nefarious activities. I think he, he. Uh, Got rides the old-fashioned way. He earned them. Uh, his okay, dad's, I'm gonna, I'm his, dad's, gonna, I'm his gonna, dad's activities drag him down, drug him down. Okay, no pun intended. Um, yeah. I'm going to quibble with you a little bit on that. I suspect that his early racing activities were funded by dad. I'm not talking at the high level. I agree. He, he earned those outright. But, you know, goodness. Look, if you have a kid no, I mean, and I'm, you want to get him involved in racing, it's that's not a cheap endeavor. No, it was... He or his dad wasn't buying uh, new cars with cash, uh, you know. Right, and and and, and, right, and racing a blank tub at the 500. Right. You know, according to Rob Miller's article, he had he got his big break, and a day later he was arrested and indicted for not testifying against his dad. So, and just a shame. He was he uh, was seemingly a prodigy, and uh, and just wasn't to be. Curb, I'm having a senior moment. Um, I'm sure you can help me out here. Another pot smuggler, uh, racer. Um, Randy, Randy Lanier. Thank you very much, Randy Lanier. Yeah. I mean, for for those people who don't know what the hell we're talking about, um, all those are worth looking up, at least doing a quick Wikipedia on, because they're pretty funny stories, you know. Um, and Randy Lanier particularly, uh, wow, what a crazy man. Yeah, crazy no, man. no. Pretty remorseless too, I think. Even yeah, even in but, his older years. But all these guys could drive a race car. It wasn't they weren't oh, yeah. just you know all these guys could drive, and uh, so you have to at least on some level give them credit for that. Curb, you, you kind of veered into uh, another topic that I I, I did want to talk about. Um, you were talking about uh, Formula One and you know funding and the money and and how much there is. And I'm going to tie this into IndyCar because as, as we have to constantly remind ourselves, this is an IndyCar podcast. <laughs> um, the salary or the – not salary, but the uh, budget cap for 2021 in Formula One is $145 million for a two-car two program. Right? Am I correct? That's an interim number. They're going to go lower in the future. Yes. $145 million is the budget. Um, for two par- car program that does not include driver's salaries. Right. Now an Indy car, I think you and I would both agree uh, for a standard kind of straight down the middle program is probably for one car along the lines of $6 million, five to $6 million. Sounds right. And maybe a Ganassi is what eight, and a Penske is ten. Would you you think that's fair to say? Uh, I'm thinking Ganassi'd probably settle for six, and 
Penske would take at least eight. Well, you did accuse him of profiteering. So maybe take <laughs> six, take six and spend five. Is that what you're implying for some of his other cars that aren't Dixon? Possibly, yes. Given that IndyCar, uh, you know, is probably running for argument's sake, ten to twelve million a year, and 145 million uh, in uh, Formula One, not including the driver's salary for that. We're talking about two cars on both counts. In right? two cars in both, correct? Yeah. It, I mean, I, that's the only way you can do a proper comparison, in my opinion. Right. Um, it got me to thinking. And, and then you look at the uh, two, uh, 2022 Formula One car, at least the iterations, the drawings are out there now, and it looks exactly like an Indy car. And then you read about how they're, you know, cutting the cost and how they're, um, you know, not allowing any aerodynamic features on the top of the tub. So, you know, they have a more cleaner, uh, you know, uh, drag, uh, you know, air, air uh, disruption behind them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it all sounds strikingly familiar to what uh, when we were discussing the Honda versus the Chevy body kits, right, and getting rid of those and how they wanted to clean those up so they made the air behind them cleaner so they could have closer racing. And it's like the exact same debate that we were having several years ago uh, with the Honda and Chevy body kits that they had and getting rid of them, right? the arguments that they're making now for the for the Formula One car are exactly the same. And lo and behold, the car looks remarkably like an Indy car does now. What if Formula One just took Indy cars, took that Delara Indy cars, and says, you know what? Let's pocket $130 million a year for each team, right? And just run these things. Do you think the world would care? I mean, I mean, yeah, they're going to lose some fans, but do you think that would destroy Formula One? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, one way or the other, they've got the money and the support to pay for what they have now, and they can, for better or for worse, they can create the highest end racing machines in the world. I think that their following would suffer if they abandon that. I'm I'm going to agree with you on that, uh, but. Only to a point. And my point is, I think they're headed this direction anyways. Um, they're just going to take a much longer time to get there. That I think they're heading more and more towards spec type series racing. And maybe we'll eventually get there. But I, they'll take a much slower, more securitous route to get there. So as not to lose fans along the way. Well, for better or for worse, all forms of racing are heading that direction. If they haven't gotten there already, I think, and um, and they, I think, will at least spend multiples of what you spend on an IndyCar team to maintain the illusion of superiority in terms of technology and and uh, you know what their machines represent, even if it's less and less reality in the future. Also interesting to me, Curb, the other kind of. Uh tangential thought I had on this and I'd like to hear your view on it is wouldn't it be interesting if they included the driver's salary in the budget cap yes definitely right wouldn't that be the most interesting thing of all Um, because uh, I'm sorry I'm I'm tromping all over you but I, I 
I think it'd be so fascinating because then, okay, I got to pay 40 million for Lewis Hamilton or I can spend, you know, 30 of that and get somebody else and 30 of that on the development of the car. I'm slightly surprised they haven't worked the driver's salaries in there already and would not be surprised if they worked them in in the future to try to, you know, they, they can't seem to say no to the drivers themselves. Put this kind of kind of like a salary cap and other sports in there to help them say no in the future uh, and control those costs. I could see that definitely being something they would try to do. So, I, I mean, it would just create such an interesting driver's market because, uh, yeah, okay, oh, I want Lewis Hamilton driving my car. Well, maybe you don't if that means it's going to cost you an extra $20 million off your development budget. Right. Hamilton's a great driver. First Happen's a great driver. Um, I guess it's like any sport. If the money's out there, then the drivers deserve to get a piece of it, just like team owners and and uh, series owners and so forth. You also have you also have a situation where George Russell's proven that maybe Hamilton isn't worth that extra twenty million, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's where it it, it just becomes fascinating. And again, I think, you know, everybody says, well, you know, Formula One, how much is the car and how much is the driver? Um, I think it would kind of help answer that question. And that's what makes IndyCar so great is, is that you don't have those same questions. There's just there is a difference between the lowest rung team and the highest rung team in IndyCar. But it's just a far narrower gap. And you can really kind of see the cream from a driver's skill standpoint, come to the top in IndyCar, it's much easier to d- discern than it is in Formula One. I think that's what makes IndyCar more interesting than Formula One is that it is driver-based, but um, I, you know, Formula One's always been car-based, and I guess it always will be. Kerba, I know you got some things you want to talk about. I'm going to just go ahead and and ask you uh, out of the blue this question, and uh, hopefully you can, you know. Give me a profound answer. It's a lot of pressure. Donald Davidson, renowned IndyCar historian, employed by the IMS, right? Right. Formerly employed by IMS. Forced retirement? Or was it time? Or was it kind of hinted to him that it was time? Given no, the I, austere I, nature of finances at the Indy Motor Speedway at the moment, I don't think so. I don't think his uh, IndyCar and IMS are not uh, running budgets anywhere near Formula One. But I still don't think Donald David's salary uh, <laughs> you know, was you know, stressing anybody. You don't think uh, Petsky was uh, saying, "Hey, I know you're uh, ten years my junior, but uh, <clears throat> might be time for you to uh, you know, consider retirement." You don't I, think that I, I, he was getting a little nudge from yeah. Roger? I don't think so. Um, you know, if, if uh, I think I heard both Kevin Lee and Red uh, Robin Miller say that uh, that he'd slow, been slowing down and and uh, was looking to reduce his speaking schedule and speaking requirements. So um, I think it's legit. I think he just uh, you know is ready to slow down. Um, and you know I've seen him give some talks um, two or three times in the last five years and and. Uh, Always wonderful to listen to, but but you know he's he's not a young man anymore. Probably heading towards a deserved retirement. 
it was clear to me that yeah he had lost a step or two um in the in the last few years I've listened to him I agree um maybe that's even unfair to say but yeah he just started sounding a bit older which is natural right I think they would run him all over the place like from from January to May you know he'd be going out to every small town in the Midwest giving speeches to or not speeches but giving talks and question and answer periods to the you know the local Knights of Columbus in this town or the local whatever enthusiast group in some other town I mean Shriners yeah they'd work them pretty good I think so well Shriners those guys those are the guys in the car so they would probably have just a natural interest sure yeah but I mean has a Shriner car ever entered the Indy 500 Donald good question but um <laughs> what's the closest motor oh you know he doesn't answer questions like that has, has uh, a has a former shriner ever won the 500 donald he could probably tell you okay well um good luck in his retirement donald yeah best wishes for sure best wishes. Uh, certainly certainly part of the you know when you heard his voice you knew it was a month of may around here for a long time Certainly all of your and my lifetimes. So, yeah, it kind of goes the way of uh, what Tom Carnegie and um, Jim Neighbors and Jim uh, Neighbors. And I mean, all those things that that you and I kind of grew up with, which, you know, our younger generation won't won't be able to appreciate. I mean, they're obviously creating their own traditions and so forth. But, um, yeah, he's one of that group of just uh, whenever you heard him talking, it was May. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so, but again, deserved retirement and uh, wish him the best. Absolutely. Curb, uh, how about it? What, uh, what, do, what are you thinking here? Um, let's see. While we were talking earlier, I confirmed that uh, the Formula One budget caps will be 145 next year, 140 in 2022, and 135 in 23 through 25. Jeez, how can they live? It'll be tough. Sticking with our uh, Formula One theme here on the IndyCar podcast, did you see that Carlos Sainz won the first stage of the Dakar Rally? Senior. Senior. <laughs> so that's a, okay. so oh, I'm, def- I'm definitely there. leaving this in curb. I'm leaving this in in a big way. There's more than one Carlos Sainz. <laughs> oh my God. Oh curb, 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 curb. Here, here See, I folks, here, here people, I was impressed. Okay, with so to our to our listeners, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just say something here. Okay, maybe a little controversial, but I'm gonna say something. This is what happens. This is what happens, and this is why I left Indianapolis. <laughs> okay, you just your scope of the world just is so narrow if you stay, and I just can't. Uh, I just I just can't emphasize enough to to all you little youngsters out there get out get out while you can. Well, I'm gonna stand up for all those little youngsters and say that uh, your it's view of the world can be just as family. just as uh, <laughs> wide and far as you want to from Indianapolis as anywhere else. Um, and I don't think that my lack of Formula One knowledge is any indicator of the possibilities for young Hoosiers. If you find yourself saying, you know, Carmel, Indiana has more roundabouts per capita than any city in America. Get out. It's time to go. Well, 
So really, there's more than one Carlos Sainz. Who yes, knew? there is. Very famous. Yes. Well, it, do, it doesn't say Carlos Sainz Sr. here in the uh, article. I was actually pondering bringing it up because, I mean, the, well, of course it doesn't because they don't have to. Everybody knows it's Carlos Sainz Sr. They don't need to put Sr. All right. The guy's like a, a epic uh, rally car driver. Well, they took him to the woodshed in stage two. He lost nine minutes. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert on rally, but I do know like uh, that sometimes starting first is a huge handicap, and if you could start a few cars behind, that's better. And uh, well, you know, that, was, that, that was definitely the excuse of the uh, defending race winner, Ataya, Atia, whatever his name is. So. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, I don't claim to be an expert, but uh, I, I think it would be unusual if he won every single one, every stage. Yeah, okay. So uh, let's see. Alexander Albon's going to DTM, so I guess that's one <laughs> less. You sure he doesn't have too? a father? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same Alexander Albon. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to DTM, so you can scratch one more IndyCar uh, ride possibility since, you know. All all failed F1 drivers want to go to Indianapolis uh, yeah. for IndyCar, right? Um, he must be gutted. He must just be gutted. You know, you and I have debated on a previous episode whether Ryan Hunter Ray was confirmed or not for the the uh, DHL car at Andretti, and uh, I insisted he was, and it turns out I was wrong. So um, it's all but done, except that they're haggling over pandemic clause language in the contract mm. so the the new world we live in they're wrestling over where they get their money back if races get canceled or or what have you so mm, fair enough right um yeah so for what that's worth um so those i mean dhl's the- business must be gangbusters in this pandemic environment frankly uh, you would you would think so yeah uh, but I guess uh, they got smart lawyers there, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, apologies to all of our uh, interested F1 listeners in <laughs> advance. And uh, for those of you who like IndyCar, uh, thank you again for listening. Oh, quick mention of our sponsors. Back for another year of punishment. <laughs> South Street Diner and Neologic Beer. You can't get any more environmental than Neologic. There you Come go. On, I think on those notes, uh, King Hero Podcast, K-I-N-G-H-I-R-O podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we're soon to have a Twitter account. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Good night, everybody. Take care.